Noah this morning. Noah. Genesis chapter 6. It's the first book in the Old Testament. I know you knew. I just make sure you're with me. Genesis chapter 6. Follow along as I read. I'm going to try to give a little bit of a running commentary as we look at this. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives from themselves of all whom they chose. Now, there are about uh, four or five different explanations of verse 1 and 2. I'm not going to try to give you any of them. I'm just going to say this. They were not following God's moral plan and purposes for reproduction, for reproducing, or marital harmony that he had laid out in Genesis. But rather what this is is the fulfillment of his what he, the judgment that he said there will be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of man, or God's seed. Uh, and the devil's seed is what it amounts to. So this was, this was a perversion of God's plan. So I'm just going to go over that. You can study that on your own, okay? But the bottom line is it was a perversion of God's plan. Now verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. From this point on in which he speaks, there was going to be 120 years, and we'll see later in the chapter, until the flood. In 120 years, the flood was going to happen. But what's going to happen in that 120 years? There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Again, this, this, uh, this renown is not a good thing. This renown has to do, they were, they were infamous. Right? Verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, and with God being God, he can do what he wants. So he said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here we see this despicable, desperate, rotten age, and yet Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, Noah walked with God. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, by the way, there is a, a, another teaching out there that they very well may have been triplets. Because when you look at genealogies and they're listed before, they list the sons individually and how old the father was. But in this case, they're listed all together, so it may be indication that they're triplets. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. You can do with it what you want. It just was interesting. Verse 11, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. Now that's the second time he said that. The earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, covered inside and outside with pitch, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. 
You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which the breath of life, everything that is on the earth, shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, yourselves, your wife, your sons, wives, with you. And of every living thing, of all the flesh, shall bring two of every sort in the ark. To keep them alive with you, they shall be male and female. Of the birds after that kind, of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you for yourself of all come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten. You shall gather it to yourself and shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he all God commanded him, so he did. I mentioned this several weeks ago. Say it again. There is that teaching author called historical historicity of the Old Testament. In other words, you have these, these historical stories like Noah and the flood or of creation or of uh, Jesus walking on water and doing miracles. Those of that view say, well, we're going to pick and choose. Those things really didn't happen. And I, I say to you, as I said several weeks ago, either it's all true or none of it's true. You may be struggling with the flood, the worldwide flood. It's either all true or none of it's true. It's all true. And this record that we hear here is also true, as is set forth for us here in Genesis chapter 6. The flood lasted over a year, or, or I shouldn't say the flood lasted 40 days, 40 nights, but they were on the ark over a year uh, before they were able to get out on the dry ground. There was one door, there was only one way to get on the ark, and there was one window. And you can read further in the account there, as you get in chapter 7, is some of the things there. So, we've been talking about and looking at living faith. Uh, keep your finger there in Genesis chapter 6, because actually we're going to have to go back there and look at several, several things uh, there in that chapter. I don't know why, but uh, I'm very nervous. You, you know, it's one of those crazy things, like, I was only gone a Sunday, but it feels like it's brand new, you know, one of those things. So, I I'm, 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 don't mean to be nervous, but I'm very nervous, and I don't know why. Old age. What did I just say? Never mind. I was kidding. All right, living faith. Uh, there's two great faith chapters in Scripture. Romans chapter 4, that's salvation, that's saving faith. And Hebrews chapter 11, of course, is living faith. And uh, we've been looking at faith. We looked at verse 1, uh, where it says, says in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we took, put, picked out those four words, faith, substance, hope, evidence. Uh, we came, came up with this long... Uh, definition. Uh, faith is the unshakable confidence and firm conviction that God's revelation of past events, present circumstances, and future revelation are all true. That's, that's our long explanation. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders summarized it this way, and this is the one I want you to remember. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as the present and the invisible as the seen. Treats the future as the present. That always makes me think of sacrificing on the altar of the, is it the immediate? Sacrificing the eternal on the altar of the immediate. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as the present and the invisible as the seen. That's why it says, by faith Noah built an ark. 
By faith, uh, Abel offered a perfect sacrifice. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Abraham, not seeing the promises that were far off, but yet he believed. By faith, Sarah was strengthened so she could bear a child in her old age. By faith. They, these people were enabled uh, to, they treated the future as the present and the visible as the seen. As we go forward, hopefully, we will be men and women of faith. That we will treat the future as the present and the invisible as the seen. We've been looking at, just quickly, the faith of these individuals before the flood. You have Abel, he had worshiping faith. He brought the proper sacrifice. And that which distinguished, distinguished that sacrifice between him and Cain was his faith. He came in faith believing that this would forgive the offering to forgive his sins. Enoch. Enoch was walking faith. He was separated unto God. He walked God. He, he didn't walk behind God. He didn't walk ahead of God. He walked with God. When God stopped, he stopped. When God turned, he turned. When God spoke, he listened. He walked with God. This is Amos 3.3. 3. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Enoch was walking faith. Then we're coming to Noah. Noah's working faith. We see him service. He believed God. He treated the future as the present, the invisible as the seen, and he built an ark which he had never seen before. By the way, he went right down to Home Depot, Lowe's, and Ace Hardware and got all he needed to build the ark. Think about it. He had to cut the wood. He had to trim the wood. He had to somehow secure the woods together in, a, in 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It took him a long time, about 120 years. And then he had to take pitch, which, was his, which would be like asphalt, and he had to smear that over, all over the inside so it would float. Now, we're, we, he may have seen rain, but he had never seen a flood before. He, he treated the future as the present and the invisible as the scene. This is, this, is, this is working faith. This is an example where, uh, where James said in uh, chapter 3, I think it is, or chapter 1, you know, you say you have faith? He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. He's not talking about works salvation. He's just saying, I'm going to demonstrate to you my salvation by how I live. Listen, with the way you behave demonstrates what you really believe. And what Noah really believed was God. It was going to rain. It was going to flood. And he built an ark. So it's working faith. First of all, I, I want to look at two things today. One is the characteristics of this ungodly age, this ungodly world, and the character of a godly man. Those, those two things. The first one is this. The characteristics of an ungodly world. In Genesis chapter 6, in verse 5, I'm just, I'll put these all three up here. Verse 5, there was moral failure. It says, wickedness of man was great upon the earth. The context, remember I said back in verse 1, one 2, 3, and 4, the context says, or it talks about the moral failure, the moral depravity that was going on. They, they were not making light of the importance of marriage as well as God's plan for reproducing upon the earth. So first of all, there was moral, moral failure. When they lived in this ungodly world, in this ungodly age, there was moral failure. Wickedness of man was great upon the earth. The, the, the sexual perversion was great upon the earth. The second thing you see there is pleasure-seeking. Chapter 6, verse 5, 
and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intent, their thought life. Uh, this, this probably uh, helps to emphasize more than anything the depravity of man. Our inner nature is constantly evil. Uh, we are only one careless thought away from committing a horrendous sin. The, the intents of their heart, their thought life. This is why Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, when he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, the devil will play mind games with you. And they had given themselves over to every intent of their thoughts. Sin begins, I believe, in that thought life. James chapter 1 says, let, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Your thoughts, your own desires. God doesn't cause you to sin. You're giving in to the temptation, and where does that temptation begin? Or even the act to be, give in to it? It begins in your thought life. We're living in an age where in this fantasy world that, that you think it, you do it. We are in an age of no self-control or self-discipline. This is the age that Noah lived in, this ungodly world, this pleasure-seeking. The third one we see there, it was filled with violence or acts of violence. For the earth is filled with violence. In verse 13, verse 11, again it says, it corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. To emphasize, this was a violent time, not just acts of violence, but these had to do with thoughts of violence, appearance of violence, the thought, the word, the deed, the, the words of violence. It, the earth was full of it. But yet, this is what's so awesome. We come to verse 8, Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. God always has a remnant. God always has a remnant. Even as Ekhoffs are there in Afghanistan, there are a believers there because God always has a remnant. Even as we pray for our children, as I encourage you to pray for your children when they leave the home, that God would provide a, a spiritual Christian friend for them. Why? Because God always has a remnant. And maybe your son or maybe my son or my daughter or your daughter, maybe they're going to be that godly remnant that befriends another believer and encourages them in their faith. God always has a remnant. Remember Elijah? Elijah had that battle on Mount Carmel. He had offered a sacrifice. God sent down fire, licked it up. 450 prophets of Baal died that day. Rain started coming. He outran Ahab's chariot. And Jezebel, Ahab's wife, the queen, she said, I will do to Elijah just exactly what he did to those prophets of Baal. And Elijah ran for his life. Here he'd had this mountaintop experience. He'd gone down in the valley of despair. And that's not condemn him too much because we're exactly the same way. We have this mountaintop experience of which we see God mightily working on our behalf and using us. And then as soon as things go bad, we kind of go down in this valley of despair and start to complain and whine. And that's what Elijah did. Elijah finally said to God, he said, I am the only one left. I'm the only one. And God said, no, there's 7,000 that I've set aside. Listen, there is always a remnant. And Noah found grace 
in the eyes of the Lord. And maybe you're that remnant in your family, in your neighborhood, at your place of work, that God has placed you for a specific purpose, for a specific plan. He's got you. God always has a remnant. And so Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let me just summarize the, 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 of Noah's days. The intensity of evil. Wickedness of man was great. The, the, the perversion, the promiscuous, the intensity of this evil was great. The second thing is summarized. The intentional nature of wickedness. Every intent of the heart. They were, listen, they weren't just thinking. They were thinking and moving in that direction. The intentional nature of the wickedness. It reminds me, and maybe it reminded you of this too, Romans chapter 1. Paul is describing the depravity, the depraved nature of man. And I'm just going to read verse 28 of chapter 1 of Romans. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same thing, but also approve of those who practice them. Another translation says they applaud those who practice them. They're out of control. This, the days of Noah were like this. This was an intentional nature of wickedness, every intent of the heart. The, the third thing, the intrusiveness of violence filled the earth. The word continually that can also be translated day after day, all day, 24-7. There was no break. You know, this last week we were able to go on vacation for three days. It was so good to have a break, a time away to refresh spiritually and physically. There was no break in their wickedness. All day, every day, 24-7. Luke chapter 17, verse 26 and 27 says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered in the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. Those days will be the most wicked, spiritually careless ever. Those days in which Noah lived were wicked and spiritually careless, the most spiritually careless days ever. And what Jesus was saying there in Luke 17 was this, before I return, the days are going to be just like the days of Noah. And you may say, oh, Pastor Ken, isn't that like it is today? Gaddafi, we have these tyrants, we have human trafficking, we have murders, we have wars, we have drugs. Isn't that like today? And I, my honest answer to you is no, it's not like today. It's going to get much you think it's bad today, it'll be worse tomorrow. It's going to be much worse. 
those that day that by the way that God or Christ was talking about there in Luke chapter 17 he was talking about the tribulation we us we are living in the days leading up to those days you think it's bad now it's going to get worse the character of a godly man as I mentioned in the midst of God's displeasure we have see a remnant that is set forth here that is Noah and what what made Noah different let me not minimize I'm not minimizing the day we live in we live in an evil day too I understand that but I'm just telling you it's gonna get worse I'm not a doomsday I'm just telling you what the scripture says it's going to get worse but what made Noah different why did he stand out why did he find grace in the eyes of the Lord why did God pick him out and choose him why did he look to him why didn't he look to Methuselah who was by the way his father I'm sorry, Lamech was his father. Methuselah was his grandfather. Why did he look to Noah? Because Noah was different. How was he different? What's the character of this man? First of all, it says there in chapter 6, verse 9, that Noah was just. Noah was a just man. Some other translations say Noah was righteous. What is this reference to? Noah's relationship with God was settled. Listen, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your relationship with God is settled. There may be times that come along to help confirm that relationship, but you don't have to get saved over and over and over and over and over and over and over. How many times did Christ die on the cross? Once. How many times do you have to get saved? Once. And his relationship with God was settled. He was a just man. When you've accepted Christ, your personal Savior, you have been declared righteous. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified, just as if I never sinned, he declared me righteous. My relationship with God is settled. Noah's relationship with God was settled. He was a just man. Noah was blameless. The scripture also uses the word here, perfect. Noah was not perfect. In fact, all those characters that we look at in Hebrews chapter 11, we can sit there and name time after time in which they failed. They were not sinlessly perfect. When it talks about it, but that word means blameless, it simply means this, to be innocent or free from blame. In other words, their testimony, Noah's testimony before man, was such that he was blameless. No one could come and point their finger at Noah. Was Noah perfect? He was not perfect. But he was blameless. He had a good testimony before other men. Noah was a man with moral integrity. This was a time of moral wickedness. But he was a man of moral integrity. He was blameless. You and I, where are we at? Noah walked with God there in verse 9, just like Enoch. Not ahead, not behind. He walked with God. God turned, Noah turned. God stopped, Noah stopped. God went left, Noah went left. God turned right, Noah turned right. He walked with God. He, he imitated the example of Enoch. Enoch and Noah are the only two characters mentioned in Scripture that says they walked with God. You and I can walk with God. Walk speaks of progress. Walk speaks of friendship. Walk speaks of growth. Walk speaks of movement. Noah walked with God. Noah fellowshiped with God 24-7. Wickedness was on the earth 24-7. But Noah walked with God 24-7. Now, in those 120 years, he had to work. It also tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2 that he was a preacher of righteousness. He, had, he was a father. He was a husband. He had lots of activities going on, but you know what? He walked with God 24-7.
Amos 3 3, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Noah fellowship with God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 tells us that Noah lived by faith. Noah had faith, and he showed it. What did God say? Build an ark. What did Noah do? Built an ark. In fact, twice it's mentioned there in Genesis chapter 6. God's instructions were the length, the width, the height of the ark. God's provisions uh, were for Noah and his sons to do so. In chapter 6, verse 22, it says, Thus Noah did according to all God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 5, And Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. Twice it's repeated. Noah had faith and he showed it. He demonstrated his faith. You and I need to demonstrate our faith. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. There in 2 Peter chapter 2, let's see it up there, verse 5. It did not, speaking of God, did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. Noah communicated truth through lip and life. He communicated truth not only by what he said, but how he lived. And I've said this before, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Why is that? Because the way you behave is what you really believe. And what did Noah really believe? Believed God. And he built the ark. The character of a godly man. Let me just close. I've got four things. As a challenge to us, as we think of Noah and his faith, his living faith. First of all, Noah treated the future as the present and the unseen as seen. Think about it. All we can see. We live in a tunnel with blinders on. All I can see is now in the moment of now. But Noah treated the future as the present. He took the blinders off. He walked out of the cave and the unseen is seen. Noah impacted his family for right. Holly Walker gave me this book called Stepping Up. Some of you may have heard of it. Basically, it's about the responsibility of men to step up and make a difference, regardless of your age, whether you're young, old, middle-aged, or older. Step up. Make a difference. Noah impacted his family for right. You and I need to step up and impact people around us and our family for right. Made a difference. Made an impact. Thirdly, in some ways this may be the most challenging, at least to me, in that it is possible to live a godly life in an ungodly world. It is possible. It doesn't mean it'll be easy, but it is possible you think of Moses, who forsook the flesh pots of Egypt to worship and serve God. You think of Joseph, who fought off the advances of Mrs. Potiphar because he could not sin against God. You think of Jeremiah, who was a prophet to Judah, never had a convert that we know of, but he always stayed true to God. Yes, he complained, but he was still true to God. He never compromised. It is possible to live a godly life in an ungodly world. Of Daniel, who dared to make a difference, or purposed in his heart not to eat the king's meat. Of Elijah, as I mentioned. It is possible. Listen, you and I are confronted by evil and wickedness, either permeated through the uh, advertisements 
through television programming, through internet connections, even through people who we talk to and work with. But it is possible for you and I to live godly in an ungodly world. Speaking of praying for our children, uh, some of you know uh, my son is in the Army, stationed in Italy. God placed him in a very unique situation. Again, and I say again, this has happened. The colonel that he is under is a born-again believer and very committed Christian. He has in his home on the weekends, a missionary uses his home as a meeting place for a home church to establish a church there in Italy. Listen, it's possible for you and I to live a godly life in an ungodly world. You don't have to be weird, but you will be different. Fourth, the best way for the people of God to condemn the wicked will not be by harsh and critical language, but by holy and exemplary lives. It doesn't mean we shouldn't speak. Peter tells us that we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. But live the gospel 24-7. Live it. Show it. Step up. Make a difference. Make an impact. For God. For truth. And an impact upon those around you. Father, we pray as we come to the conclusion of our service, we just thank you for Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. He moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of the household and became heirs of the righteousness, which was according to faith. I pray, God, that we may be men and women of faith, that you may use us, you may work in us, that we will step up and make a difference. If you're here this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, we ask that you not look around. We will not embarrass you. This is a very private matter. But if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Ken, I don't know if I'm saved. My relationship with God is not settled. But I would like to know Christ as my Savior. Is there anyone like that? We'll talk to you privately, one-on-one, a lady with a lady, a man with a man. Secondly is this. Pastor, just pray for me. I need to step up. I need to make an impact. I need to make a difference. I need to walk with God 24-7. Is there anyone like that? Yes. Others? Father, you know the hearts and you know the response, whether they raise their hand or not. You know what they're thinking. We pray and thank you for the Spirit of God that takes the Word of God and changes lives. We pray, Lord, that you may continue to see lives change, that we may, as a church, as individuals, as families, make an impact, make a difference, that we will truly step up and live by faith. In Jesus' name we pray.